This is New Life Christian Fellowship's weekly message podcast. You can find us online at newlifepetaluma.org. And now, this week's message. Merry Christmas! Man, it is good to see you guys today. If we haven't met yet, my name is Kevin. I'm our lead pastor, and I'm going to guide us through our journey together this morning. And a few things that will help you as we uh, explore a pretty big topic today would be inside your program, this card that says Start Here. If you go ahead and grab that, then just put your name and email address on it. We're going to use it throughout the day today, so you're going to want to have that ready. I guarantee it. And then the other thing you're going to want to grab are our teaching notes. They've got a Bible story on there that I'm going to tell today that most of us probably have never heard. And if you don't grab your notes, you're going to think I'm making it up. So listen, uh, I, didn't, I didn't write it. I'm just going to read it. But you're not going to believe me when I tell it to you. So you're going to want to grab your notes because, listen, it's, it's a huge story that, that is just, it's mind-blowing. The implications of it are huge. So go ahead and grab these notes and look at those as we go along today. Well, we are continuing this journey that we're calling Jesus Is. And this whole uh, teaching series came out of this idea— that Jesus walked on the earth, and that's a historical fact. You can look in all sorts of ancient records. Jesus walked on the earth, and he made a big claim. He talked to his friends and his followers, and he said to them, do you want to know God? Do you want to know what God thinks, how God acts, who God loves, what God hates, where God spends time, what God listens to, what God is about? He said, if you want to know that, Jesus said, don't don't just listen to what I say. He said, look at me. The implications were huge. He said, I am God in the flesh. And I came to not just tell you about God, but I came to actually show you God. And so for these four weeks, as we've been leading up to Christmas, we've been asking this question, what does Jesus's birth, because that's what we celebrate at Christmas, what does Jesus's birth show us about God? And as we jump in today, I want you to, to think in your mind's eye and picture When you think about Christmas, I mean, the things that you love about Christmas, what do you picture? What comes to your mind? Maybe it's family, friends. What comes to your mind when you think Christmas? Just get a picture of that in your mind's eye. When I think about Christmas, some of my favorite memories, I grew up just outside of Pasadena in Southern California. My favorite Christmas days were when it got really cold, you know, like 72. And um, and we'd open the windows up, true story, we'd open the windows up and we'd light a fire. It was very exciting. And, and I remember in the evenings having the windows up and the fire lit. And, and my parents had this, this, this thing. You might, you might remember this or you might have heard about this or seen it in a black and white television show. Um, it was called a record player. And it played these things that were like giant CDs, okay? It played giant CDs that they called records. And, and they had these great old records of Bing Crosby and Danny Kaye and Christmas records. And we'd, we'd lay on the floor because it was too hot if you got up too high with the fire. So we'd lay on the floor with the lights off and the Christmas tree and this record player playing these old old Christmas records, and I just love that. That is one of my favorite Christmas memories. Uh, I also love family. For me, family and Christmas go together. Um, we would always go down to the beach. That was one of our Christmas traditions. My family lived down there, and so we'd go to the beach on Christmas Day, and we'd, we'd laugh, and we'd share presents, and we'd have a great time. I love family. I love toys on Christmas. Uh, even as an adult, uh, I just asked my wife this year for Christmas. I said, get me practical stuff, whatever, but, but please get me a remote-controlled helicopter. That's what I really, really want for Christmas this year. And listen, you might think that's funny, but look around this room. Okay, I spend my week here. How awesome will it be when you, none of you are here to fly around a helicopter in here? I just think that would be fantastic. Someone told me I should put a camera on it before service and zoom around. And, and so January's coming. 
but I love toys. Maybe for you, your favorite Christmas memories are, are snow-covered hills and hot apple cider. Uh, maybe for you, some of your favorite Christmas memories come from when your kids were young and you spent hours and hours and hours on Christmas Eve putting together those some assembly-required toys that took at least five hours and a bottle and a half of wine. Let's just be honest, because it always makes it go better when we're drinking. Um, and for some of you, maybe, maybe Christmas is about, is about movies, getting together and, and being with family and snuggling together around under a blanket and watching movies. And you just laugh and you think Christmas when you hear, you'll shoot your eye out, kid. And, right? and you get emotional when you, when you hear about Zuzu's pedals. It's just like, oh, that's Christmas for me. Well, the story we're going to talk about today tells a very different Christmas story. When you and I think Christmas, I can almost guarantee, even in a room this size, not a single one of us thought cruel dictator, murder of little children, people screaming and crying. I can almost guarantee none of us thought about our favorite childhood memories of being a refugee in a foreign land where no one loved us, no one wanted us, and no one accepted us. And yet, the story we're going to look at today, the story in the Bible that doesn't get a lot of airtime on, on Christmas sermon series, is that story. The story that God chose to be born into looks a lot more like that than it does like fireplaces and toys and Danny Kay records. And here's the backdrop of this story that seriously doesn't get much airtime. And if, if you're not a Bible-reading person, you should be because, man, some of the stories in here are just amazing to read. The story starts out like this. Jesus was born into a a community that was ruled by a ruthless dictator, a guy named Herod the Great. And he wasn't a great man, but he got his nickname because he was a great architect. And in fact, he had rebuilt the Jewish temple. And so he got this kind of this nickname as Herod the Great, even though he was a ruthless dictator. Picture uh, Russia under Stalin, and you've got an idea of what Herod was like and what his rule was like in this ancient area. He was an illegitimate king who had paid for his throne by giving money and allegiance to Rome, who was kind of over all of the ancient known world at that time. And because he was an illegitimate king, he was, he was incredibly um, paranoid, always looking over his shoulder, because he knew if a rightful king ever came along, that rightful king would raise up, would challenge his throne, and there would be a battle. And so he's always looking over his shoulder, uh, and he killed anybody who who tried to stand against him. In fact, he killed two of his brothers-in-law, which might be the only similarity to some of your Christmas memories, because I have a feeling some of you wanted to kill your brother-in-law at Christmas, if you're totally honest. He killed two of his brothers-in-law. He killed his wife. He killed two of his kids. This guy was such a ruthless dictator that the week before he died, he had innocent citizens round up thrown in jail, and he ordered that on the day of his death, they be executed because he knew no one would mourn for him on his death, but he wanted there to be weeping and mourning on the day he died. So the day he died, they executed innocent people so that there would be some level of grieving on the day of his death. That's the ruler of the community that Jesus was born into. He was the extreme, cruel, oppressive dictator. And we're going to pick up this story on one of the nights when Herod was on his palace looking out over Jerusalem and down into Bethlehem, and his worst fear came true. Because in the distance, he saw a group of men 
riding up, and they came into the city, and they caused a stir, and these men told him, a rightful king has been born right under your nose. This is where we pick up the story in Matthew chapter 2, verse 1. It says, After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, that's Herod the Great, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and they asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose, and we've come to worship him. Magi, or maybe if you've seen Christmas plays, you know them as wise men. They were ancient astrologers who had all these maps to look at the stars, and without getting into too much detail, they weren't necessarily God followers, but God revealed himself to them because they were honestly seeking after God. And they follow a star, and they get to Jesus. Verse 3 says, uh, when King Herod heard this, he was, he was disturbed, and all of Jerusalem was disturbed with him. And when he had called together all of the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was going to be born. And he was terrified because he knew that if a rightful king was born, and that rightful king was allowed to live and grow in strength and grow in popularity, that rightful king would one day rise up and challenge his authority. And like any dictator, he immediately devised a plan to eliminate the threat. Verse 7 says this, Then Herod called the Magi secretly, and he found out the exact time that the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go, search carefully for this child, and as soon as you find him, report it to me so that I may come and worship him, which is a total lie. He has no interest in worshiping him. He only wants to eliminate him. And we're going to kind of zoom out a little bit. What happens is these these magi, these wise men who have traveled from modern-day Iraq and come to find Jesus, they find him and they worship him. And Jesus is probably between one and two years old at this point. And like any toddler, they gave him these gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And I just picture Jesus as a toddler going and like putting the gold in his mouth, you know, to taste it and drooling on it because that's what babies did because we got to remember that God, fully God, became fully human in Jesus. And he was a toddler at this point, but he came, they came and they worshipped him. And we're going to skip down to verse 13. When they had gone, when they finished worshipping him, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Get up, take the child and his mother, and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. So he got up, took the child and his mother during the night, and they left for Egypt. And they went and stayed until the death of Herod. And so was fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophet, out of Egypt I will call my son. So this angel shows up and he tells Joseph, who was uh, Jesus is going to raise Jesus as his son. He was Jesus's uh, adopted dad. He says, take them and run to Egypt. And, and, and the implications of this are huge because the Egyptians did not like the Jewish people. Because you got to remember, if you've read through your Bible, back in the Old Testament of the Bible, generations before, the Jewish people were slaves under the Egyptians. And when they found freedom, when God rescued them, they left Egypt, and the Egyptian infrastructure pretty much crumbled at that point. And ever since then, there's been this, this discord, this hatred, this mistrust between the Egyptians and the Jewish people. But Jesus' family has no option. They run to Egypt to live as a, a refugee, to live as someone with no standing in a community who doesn't know the language, who doesn't know the culture, who isn't who isn't um, favorably looked on by the people who live there. He was forced to grow up as an outsider in a community that did not want him, did not like him, and did not value him as a person. Verse 16, 
When Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious, and he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old and under, in accordance from the time he had learned from the Magi. And here's why he was so angry. See, Herod knew that from Bethlehem, where Jesus was, back to Iraq, where these Magi had to go, there was one logical route, and it was to come right past his palace through Jerusalem. So Herod's waiting, looking out, waiting for these guys to come back, waiting for them to come back, waiting for them to come back, and they never come back. And as the minutes go by and the hours go by and the days go by and he realizes they've outsmarted me, they've gone the long way around, his blood begins to boil and he gets so incredibly angry that he does something that is beyond anything that we really want to picture, if we're honest. And I'm not going to spend a ton of time here, but we can't let the gravity of this pass us by. He says, if I can't find the one who will challenge me, I will kill everyone in that age. So just imagine, on a quiet night, a cold night, all of a sudden through the streets, you hear soldiers, and they're running, and they get to doors, and they knock the doors down. And the husband runs up and they knock him down and they rip toddlers out of mother's arms and throw them to the ground. And you hear babies screaming, mothers weeping, fathers yelling. And then all of a sudden it's silent because the babies have been murdered. And all you hear are the heart-wrenching cries of moms and dads who have lost their one and two-year-old babies. As I read through this story, I had to ask this question. And we're going to look at the implications of this question for our time together. Here's the question. Why on earth would Jesus choose, choose to be born into that? It's one thing to be born into poverty, to be born into a dysfunctional family. It's one thing to be born into parents who don't love you, didn't want you, don't want anything to do with you. It's one thing to be born into a war-torn society. It's one thing to be born into an area where you are a refugee. But Jesus didn't have to be born there. He could have chosen to be born anywhere, and yet he chose, he chose to be born into poverty with a cruel dictator ruling over him. He chose to be born into a life where he would spend his childhood as a political refugee in a country that did not want him, did not accept him, did not like him. Why would Jesus choose to be born there? I've titled this message, An Underdog Story, that Jesus is an underdog story. And that phrase, underdog, is a dogfighting phrase. And before I get mean emails, I'm not a fan of dogfighting. I do not follow the sport. I just happen to know where the phrase comes from. Just to clarify, it comes from dogfighting. And an underdog was the dog in the dogfight who was smaller, who was weaker, who was more vulnerable, and who ended up on the bottom of the dogfight with a bigger, stronger, tougher dog killing it. And the phrase underdog has come to represent any person in our society who's smaller, who's weaker, 
who we can just kind of tell is going to be the loser. And we live in a, a culture, we live in a society that, that loves and celebrates and values people when they're winning. We love that. But we live in a society that does not really value losers. Think about it. The more, the more money someone has, the better they look, um, the, the funnier they are, the, the better they can communicate, the more beautiful they are. Man, those are the people that our society just loves to watch. We, we have whole reality TV shows that focus on watching smart, beautiful, funny, successful people be smart, beautiful, funny, and successful. And, and our society loves watching it. I, I should say the other side of that is, is we love watching complete losers because it makes us feel like we're smart, successful, and funny. But that's another sermon for another day. But isn't it true that we just, our society, we have whole magazines around rich, funny, beautiful, successful people who are just being rich, funny, beautiful, and successful. We make them famous for being famous. And I kind of wonder to myself, if that's what our society loves, why didn't Jesus chose to be born rich, beautiful, funny, successful, if you wanted people to know him and follow him, why wouldn't he just choose to be born like that? And I think there are at least two reasons why Jesus chose to be born an underdog. And I want to explore both of those as we continue our journey together. The first is this. I think Jesus chose to be born an underdog to show us that God loves losers. God loves losers. Does that seem harsh? It's kind of harsh. It's kind of, but over and over again, as I read the Bible, here's what I see from start to finish. God consistently and constantly chooses and loves and embraces addicted people, angry people, broken people, people who stutter, people who aren't smart, people who aren't attractive, people who aren't educated, people who don't amount to anything on their own. He consistently chooses dumb losers in the Bible. Not only does he choose them and love them, but then he does amazing things through them. It's rare. It happens every once in a while that in the Bible, God chooses the smart, rich, funny, successful person, but usually those stories go bad in the end. More often than not, God loves to choose the underdog. He loves messed up, everyday, broken folk, just like you and just like me. And then Jesus looks at everyday, ordinary, broken folk, and he says, man, I love you so much. I'm going to choose to pour my love out in your life in a way that's going to change and transform you from the inside out. You're not even going to be able to to express it and understand it at times, but I'm just going to change you with my love, and then I'm going to use you to do great things. That's the story of God over and over again in the Bible. And I think Jesus chose to be born an underdog so that if you're here today and you feel like you're losing— you can know that God knows how you feel. He knows how you feel. He's been there. If, if, you've been, if you've been searching for a job for months and you go to interview after interview and you just can't seem to get a job and you seem like you're just spinning your wheels and the bills are piling up and the debt's getting bigger and everyone around you seems to be getting jobs and having a great Christmas and you don't and you feel like you're losing, I want you to know Jesus was born an underdog, and he gets it, and he's been there. And he loves you, even when you're losing. If you're here today and you're a parent, I, I have a six-year-old and a three-year-old. 
And I can't tell you how many times I, I'm parenting to the best of my ability with the insight God has given me, but my kids will do something. And it's just like, oh, I don't know what else to do. I'm at the end of my rope and I feel like a loser as a parent. If you ever feel like a loser as a parent, I want you to know God loves you. He sees you. He knows what it's like to feel like a loser and he doesn't want to leave you there. He wants to raise you up and do great stuff through you. If you've ever, if you've ever called a babysitter and, and at the end of the night after your date night, you say, hey, how are the kids? And they just, they pause for a second too long and they give you that look. You know what I'm talking about? You, you know what I'm talking about. And it just says everything. And they're like, oh, they were good. They were good. They were good. And what they're really saying is, I will literally be busy every time you call me from here on out. And you feel like the worst parent in the world. Yeah, Jesus, Jesus loves underdogs. He loves us when we feel like we're losing. And he doesn't want to leave us there. He chose not to be born rich, beautiful, strong, successful, into money, into power. The God of the universe who had all things in his control chose to be born the lowest of the low to a community that did not want him, that despised him when all of his friends were murdered and he alone escaped to show you and I that when we feel alone and low and like we're at the end of our rope and we have nowhere else to go to show us that our God can identify with us, he knows what it's like to be there and he will, in fact, raise us up in his time and do great things in our lives. And I wonder this morning, do you know a God like that? Because he is the God who brings hope at Christmas. The underdog who raised up can raise up you when you feel like an underdog. By the way, even when it's your fault, even when it's your fault, he can raise you up. And the second thing that I, I want to explore that I was, I was just praying into as I looked at, at this story is simply this, that, that God doesn't just love us in this room when we are underdogs, but that Jesus chose to be born an underdog to show us that God sees people that the rest of our society overlooks. He doesn't just see you when you're an underdog. He sees people that the rest of the world overlooks, that the rest of society overlooks. Remember, Jesus was born, and many people thought he was an illegitimate child. He was born into poverty. He was forced to flee to a land that did not understand him or want him. He was a refugee, and he was the the recipient of an attempted assassination all in the first two years of his life. He was living as a forgotten person in a society that nobody wrote books about, nobody wrote stories about, and nobody came to interview. And he did it to show us, to show us that God sees forgotten people, that God loves forgotten people. And here's the thing. If you're, if you're new to church and, and you've got all sorts of ideas and thoughts about how Christianity has failed, listen, I'll be the first one to say that Christians over the centuries, we have, we've messed things up. We've failed. We haven't always gotten it right. But I do want to say this. This is an area where Christians historically throughout the centuries have gotten it right. See, Christians throughout the centuries, we, we look at our God and we say, well, when God chose to put himself in flesh, when Jesus chose to be born, he chose to be born an underdog that society forgot to show us that God sees people that society forgets. And so Jesus' followers have said throughout history, so I'm going to look for people that society forgets. Which is why when you look at the creation of orphanages and schools and hospitals, when you look in inner cities around our country today where people are trying to do good, um, you will see over and over again that Christians 
are at the epicenter of those movements, that Christians started those movements because Christians, Jesus' followers, have always said if our God chose to be born an underdog to show us that God sees underdogs, then as Jesus' followers, we want to see underdogs. We want to love underdogs, and we want to value people that the rest of our society forgets. And Listen, I, I know this has been a little bit of a, a heavy message. I was actually going to preach this sermon next Sunday when I created the schedule, and I thought, three days before Christmas, probably not the best sermon. So, so next week I'm preaching about stage jumping and crowd surfing. It's going to be an awesome message. You're going to love it. You're going to love it. I promise. Bring your friends. It's going to be awesome. It's, seriously, it's going to be great. But I want to talk to you for a second. I know we've gotten pretty heavy. I want to talk to you about something for a second because all this week— the only thing I've been hearing is how you have been doing this. How you have been seeing people that the rest of society forgets. I've heard story after story after story about how you are doing it, church. How we are seeing people that society overlooks and loving them in incredible ways. So I want to zoom out for a second. I want to tell you some stories, and you should get excited, and you should clap, okay? This is something that just, I don't know, pretend that Bono came out on the stage or something, okay? Or One Direction, whoever you want to, yeah, there, One Direction. I knew you'd like that. Uh, And get excited. Okay, let's just zoom out for a second. In the last month, in the last month, we, we donated over 4,000 pounds of turkeys for homeless people. That's something to be excited about in the last month. In the last week and a half, we raised $3,100 to get gifts and clothes and shoes and socks and, and household items for families who are either homeless or on the brink of homelessness through our poker for presents last weekend. Isn't that pretty exciting? $3,100 last week. Also last week, we raised over $2,000 in a general offering and sponsored 25 African orphans last weekend. That's exciting. Could there be more? Oh yes, there could. In the last three weeks, we have raised over 5,000 delicious dollars through our toffee sales to support global missions. That's something to get excited about. And by the way, you can still buy more toffee today. It's our last Sunday. But hear me out. At a time when everyone in our community, the general tenor is, I got to get mine. I got to focus on my family. I got to get presents for my kids. I got so much that I got to do. Church, you have generously given over $15,000 to care for people that the rest of our society is missing. That's what it means to follow a God who sees forgotten people. I am so proud of you. I was in tears all week hearing these stories. I was just blown away. And I couldn't wait to tell you about that today. Just a few more stories I've got to share with you. Uh, just backstage, before our, our morning started, I was talking to, to Marco, one of our worship team members. And, and Marco's dad is exhibiting early signs of dementia. And his dad was in a retirement home. And, and God just spoke to Marco. And Marco sensed, you know what? I want to bring my dad out of the retirement home and move him in with me. And I'm going to care for him in the last days of his life because he could become a forgotten person. I don't want my dad to be a forgotten person because I love Jesus. So I'm going to serve my dad. And his dad said to him last night, you don't have to do this. Why are you doing this? He said, dad, I'm doing it because I love you. And I will not let you become a forgotten person. A couple weeks ago, I told you a story about my good friend, Mark, who got in that snowmobile accident. And they said he was going to be paralyzed from the waist down. By the way, he started walking for the first time a week and a half ago, which is pretty awesome. 
when I told the story and I said, and he's a huge Raiders fan, but I'm not going to buy him a Raiders jersey because I, I don't like the Raiders, which I shouldn't have said because God has a sense of humor. And I'm sorry, Niners fans, that I said that. That was my mistake. But I said, I can't buy him a Raiders jersey. Well, after that service ended, a college guy named Billy came up to me and he said, I've got a, a signed Jim Plunkett Raiders jersey. And Jim Plunkett, I, I, I didn't know who he was because I'm not a Raiders guy. He's a, a two-time Super Bowl winning quarterback, Raiders legend. He said, I've got this. He's a huge Raiders fan. I said, he said, I want to give it to Mark. And I said, you don't have to give it to Mark. He said, he said sitting in my closet, I want to give it to your friend to encourage him because he knows that, that when people get in major accidents like this, everyone's thinking about them for a week or two, but he wants, he wants Mark to know that Mark's not forgotten as he goes through months of rehab. And I came into my office and there was this signed jersey that had been taken out just to be signed by this Raiders legend, put back in the sleeve, and it sat there as his prized possession. He just gave it away to someone so that they wouldn't be forgotten. And he brought tears to my eyes when I heard his story. Jesus chose to be born as a forgotten person to show us that God sees the people that society forgets. And I just want to ask us, church, what would it look like this week if each of us just looked for one forgotten person? Just one forgotten person. We, we're doing great stuff. That, the, what I just shared with you, you should celebrate that. We need to celebrate that. But I want to ask us, as we head into Easter, or into Easter, into Christmas in a week and a half, eventually, as we head into Christmas in a week and a half, what would it look like for each of us just to see one forgotten person? It could be a single parent that's just struggling to make it through right now at Christmas. What it would it look like to see that person and to care for them? It could be a, a, a fatherless child, and they need a father figure like one of the guys in this room to give them a hug and to play catch with them and to show them that they, they matter. They matter to the men in this society. They matter to the men in this world. It could be your obnoxious coworker that people are trying to forget about at the Christmas party. That God's saying to you, don't, don't let him sit on the outside any longer. If you're a student, it could be that, that kid that just doesn't quite fit in at school who's sitting out on the sidelines and all your friends kind of tease him or make fun of him or just ignore him. And God might be saying to you, I want you to see that person and just go over and say hi to him and take a stand with him. It could be the person on the street corner. And listen, I'm not trying to get into to why they got there. Jesus, Jesus isn't as concerned about why we're losers. He just wants to love us when we're losing. So I'm not going to get into that. I'm just saying, what if, what if you see a person on the street corner and you sense from God, I want to be the person to walk over and touch his hand because I'll bet he hasn't been touched in quite a while. And in that simple act of touching his hand, just say, you know what? I see you and God sees you. Maybe it's going to a retirement home where the elderly in our community feel forgotten in the holiday season. And just singing a Christmas carol, saying a prayer, touching a hand. We did that last week with our kids, and I can't tell you how much the faces of the people that we got to encounter lit up when my three-year-old and six-year-old just held their hand and gave them a hug. It's super cute. Especially when your kids come out with red lipstick just all over Man, if five or six hundred of us just took for one person this week, just one person, there'd be five or six hundred forgotten people who wouldn't be forgotten this Christmas. Would you do that? Would you just grab one person, just one person this week? Just say, I see you, even though you think you're forgotten. And I love you. And I believe God loves you. 
And I want to talk to you as I close our time together. If you're here and you feel forgotten by God, maybe you were raised in the church, but you've you kind of walked away from that. You had a bad experience, and we've got all sorts of reasons why we walk away from church. Or maybe you're just now coming in to encounter God for the first time at New Life. But God has always been this distant kind of deity over there that just kind of feels like this vague, nebulous thing and doesn't feel like a personal God. I want to tell you, God sees you right now. He sees you personally. He knows you. The Bible says he, before you think a a thought, he knows it. Before you speak a word, he sees it. When you wake up in the morning, he's there. Not in some sort of weird, creepy way, but more like in in a loving dad, you know, who's there to greet you in the morning. And if you don't know a God like that, I want to invite you to come to know God today. The greatest present that you could open up on this Christmas is not a remote control helicopter, although that would be epic. The greatest present you could open up on this Christmas is the present that Jesus offered to you some 2013 years ago when he gave his life on a cross. And he said, I've paid the penalty for your sins and I've made a way for you to have a relationship with your creator, God. And if you're ready to make that decision today, today's your day. Today's your day. We're gonna pray right now and I'm gonna give you a chance to do that. Would you join me? Let's pray together. Jesus, thank you that you chose to be born as an underdog. Thank you that you chose to be born at that point in life, at that point in history, under that cruel dictatorship to show us God, to show us that God has not forgotten about the underdogs in our society and to show us that God loves us even when we're losing. Lord, would you help us to follow you to see the underdogs today, to see the forgotten people this week, and to let the people that we interact with every day know that they are not forgotten and that they are loved, loved by us, and most importantly, that they are loved by you, Lord. And as we continue to pray, if you're here and you've never entered into a personal relationship with God through Jesus Christ, where you know him as your your loving Heavenly Father, then today's the day for you to do that. And you can start that journey by praying a simple prayer. It, it, it's no magic formula. It's just a, a prayer of commitment. You can repeat these words after me as you start this journey with God. Just say, Lord Jesus, I believe that you love me. And I believe that you gave your life to pay the penalty for my sins so that I could have a relationship with my Heavenly Father. And today I say yes. Yes, I want to have a relationship with you. So would you come into my life, Lord? Would you forgive me of my sin? Would you fill me with your Holy Spirit? And would you continue this process of loving me in such a way that it transforms me as I walk with you? I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. You can find more information about New Life, including contact information, at newlifepetaluma.org. Thanks for listening.